this passage will be real easy for you to find. Turn to the first page of your Bible that has Bible written in it, and you're there, Genesis 1 and verse 1. I want to begin a series on Sunday night uh, on creation. Uh, the doctrine of creation, if we could call it that, is one of the most maligned, attacked, uh, denied in society today, uh, but one that's very real, and I want us to think about it for a few minutes this morning from Genesis chapter 1. The first verse of the Bible, all the verses of the Bible, the whole, the whole Bible itself is inspired, God-breathed, and is, is valuable for uh, instruction and doctrine and reproof and correction and all those things. But the first verse, really, either you accept the first verse or you reject it in its narrative, in its uh, literal sense, uh, and if you accept it, then you can accept the rest of the Bible. If you reject the first verse of the Bible, then you, by necessity, must reject the rest of it as well because it really hinges on God being the center of everything. This verse is, as I said, is very maligned, very attacked. The scientific community attacks the idea of God creating, of there being an intelligent designer, of there being this supernatural uh, God who spoke everything into existence. Um, I was thinking about an example. I heard a debate one time between a, uh, a professor, an atheistic professor, and a pastor who was debating this professor. And it was about creation. And the, the pastor, of course, said, uh, God, who created everything, created out of nothing, and uh, as recorded in the Bible, God literally created matter that did not exist. And of course, the atheistic professor uh, became very indignant and even rude, uh, which is funny how that happens when you begin to try to debate. The enemy seems to get rude and, and angry. And this professor declared that science invalidates the Bible and that science proves that, that God could not have created. And he began to, to uh, say that science proves all kinds of things when the fact is, if a person were to take the time to do the research, the science proves nothing. Science uh, cannot prove, obviously, against God. The Bible validates all that science discovers. One of the things that I have enjoyed through the years in my, in my academic endeavors is when you do research um, and you actually do the mathematical analysis and you do surveys and you collect data and you analyze it uh, through math. And by the way, uh, math is certainly created by God because it's, it's quite exact and uh, you can't alter it. Two plus two is always four, and it will always be four, and so it's exact. And when you do the, when you do the analysis and regressions and all the statistical stuff, I've never seen a study ever in my life that was done properly that invalidates anything the Bible says. In, in fact, the opposite is true. As man discovers truth, because why? All truth is from God. So as we discover it, as we research and we discover, what do we discover? We discover that God really did create everything and that all the truth in, in the universe points to God. And so in this debate, uh, the, the professor really maligned and attacked the pastor as being uneducated, and, and, and basically we get treated as not being in the know, okay? Well, I want, you, I want you to understand this evening that if you love Jesus Christ and you believe the Word of God, you are in the know, and the rest of the world is really missing out. So we know this verse is important because Satan spends so much time trying to deny it. Secondly, this verse, the very first verse of the Bible is important 
because it helps validate all that Scripture teaches. Again, if you accept the first verse of the Bible in its literal sense that there is a creator God who's sovereign over everything, then you're not going to have any problem with anything else you read in the Bible. In other words, you come to the axe head swimming in the water, I don't have a problem with that because God's God. Okay? I come to the flood when God floods the world and, and, and saves Noah and an ark. I don't have a problem with that because he's the one who spoke matter into existence and he can do that. You get to the New Testament and Jesus raises, raises the, the, the widow's son or, or Jairus' daughter. I don't have a problem with that because he's God. He, he owns life and death. He is life. And so if you accept the first verse of the Bible, nothing else in the Bible is going to bother you. You follow what I'm saying? If you reject the first verse, you're going to have a lot of problems along the way if you remove God from the equation. Now, in the first verse, it is about how it all began. And, and listen, it's not, we tend to get off track because we want to ask all the questions that would satisfy uh, our curiosity. The first verse of the Bible is not about stuff to, to, to make us feel good. It's about God. It's about who did it. So look at verse 1. In the beginning, who? God. You could stop, you could stop right there. In the beginning, who's there? God. In the, beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now let's talk about the word beginning. In the beginning. What beginning? Well, the beginning. Okay, there's only one. There can only be one. Okay, the beginning. And the way I define this, and, and you can find many scholars and many commentaries on it, the way I define this kind of humorously, I guess, is this, is this is the moment defined here when there became definable time. It is the moment when we went from no time to some time. It was, it's the moment when God stepped out of eternity when there was no measurement of time because he's forever, and God created time and space. God spoken into existence. I even wrote down in my notes, it's the first tick of the clock. Okay, it's, the, it's the God spoke it into existence so that there's time and space because we need to understand, we think in, we think in terms of, of finiteness because that's all our brain can handle. We think in terms of, of some beginning and some end and we think in terms of stuff and, and, and a universe that we can touch and feel and measure and see and look at. God exists outside of that. Everybody understand that? God doesn't exist in some, kind of, in some kind of a box or cage. And so in the beginning, God created, go back, where, you know, go back as far as you want. God didn't give us a date. You can go back into eternity wherever you want and put a peg down and, and God will step out of eternity and meet you there. So it doesn't matter when the time was. Now, I wrote down some things about in the beginning. Number one, God on purpose didn't give us a date. He didn't put it in the Bible. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you know, in the beginning, God created, and, and by the way, here's, here's when it was. It just was. doesn't matter when it was. It just was. And so God, God's not about giving us a date or some way to measure it or putting a marker down. Uh, the, thing, the thing that's serious about it or the most important about it is this God who stepped out of eternity to do it. Secondly, the fact that God, in the beginning, God created it talks about his nature, about who he is. Uh, it's not for us to put down a marker on a calendar, so to say. It is not to satisfy our curiosity, but it is to point to him as the ultimate source of everything. That's the reason for it. And by the way, most of you know this, Sunday night crowd, you all are the students of the Bible. Uh, Moses wrote this, okay? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And you say, well, how did Moses get it? Well, from God. And I might point this out, it seems intuitive, there wasn't nobody else there when creation began but God. 
So he's pretty much the only one who's qualified to give us the account of how creation happened, right? Because nobody else is there. There's no history of it other than God telling us what happened. And God told Moses that he's the one who created. And so it all points to him uh, in the beginning, God created. Now, the name of God. It's important, the name that's used here. It's the one that's used commonly in the Old Testament most of the time. It's Elohim. Now, nothing really extraordinarily different than the other names you might find about God, Jehovah, and the ones the Jews use. But Elohim has in its connection, in its very definition, to mean the highest one, the most powerful one. So to say that the most powerful one, the highest one who exists, created, is perfect. It fits exactly together. And so uh, God, the Holy Spirit, led uh, Moses to use the word Elohim to, to talk about God being the strongest and the mightiest one and the fact that there is only one. There's only one God. In the world today, there are, there are many religions and some have pantheons of gods. I was telling Sherry when I was in middle school and I never could, even as a kid, I told her, I asked this question. In middle school, we had a class called Greek mythology in middle school. And so I had to take this class in middle school and, and I had a teacher. Uh, she was a great teacher. She had taught other classes in school, but she taught us about Zeus and Apollos and, and Aphrodite and all these, all these Greek mythical gods. And I was a saved kid. I got saved when I was 11. So in middle school, I can remember thinking to myself, why do we have to study this? Because in my, in my middle school brain, I thought there's only one God. Why are, we, why are we talking about pagan deities that aren't gods at all? And, and listen, in the, in the idea of Elohim means there's one God. There's not many gods. And if, a, if a, an 11-year-old kid can figure that out, we ought to be able to figure that out, right? There's only one God. Now, there's an interesting thing about, about the name of God, Elohim. In, in, in Hebrew, it's in the plural form. Now, here's a question that scholars wrestle with. Why would the singular God, there's only one, express himself in a plural form, as in more than one. Ponder that for a second, and I'll help you. I'll give you three, three ideas about it. Number one, the fact that God would use a word that represents him, that's in plural form, would in and of itself speak of his fullness, that he is everything. He's all in all, okay? He's, he is one God, but has a plurality of his expressions of who he is. So it talks about his fullness. And I think rightfully so, it also points to the future thing that we would learn, that we learned in the New Testament in particular, that's shadowed in the Old Testament about the Trinity, that God is one God, but is expressed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now we know that, and, and we as Christians, we try to define that, and we try to, you know, I, I have people tell me all the time, well, you know, Pastor, the Trinity is like water, you know, it can be frozen, and it can be liquid, and it can be vapor. I go, yeah, it ain't really exactly like that, okay? No, there's one God who's expressed perfectly as God in three persons, yet one God. I had a long conversation one time with a, with a Muslim man. He came here He came here because he was mad at me. And before he left, I don't think he was mad at me because we just talked about God a lot. But he came here, and that was his biggest hang-up with me. He said, well, you Christians worship three gods. I said, no, no, we worship one God who expresses himself in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he couldn't wrap his brain around that, so he, so he rejected it. But the point is, I believe the plurality of the name right here in the first verse of the Bible points to, points to the Trinity that we learn more fully through the New Testament. 
But it also not only speaks to his, his expression of himself in three persons, but speaks to the unity of the Godhead. Although God is expressed in three persons, there's perfect unity in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all think the same. They are all the same. In fact, Jesus, the Bible says if you've seen Jesus, he's the, in Hebrews, he's the full manifestation of God. He's the, he's the exact express representation of God. And Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So there is the unity in the Godhead, even though the word is in the plurality. And then let's think about this. In the first verse, in the beginning, God, it speaks to the actual existence of God that cannot be denied. In other words, the world today, atheist or atheism, is in, its, in and of itself a rapidly growing religious thought. And they call it a religion. I don't know who calls it that, but if you look it up, it's listed among religions of our day, atheism. Now, atheism obviously is a theism, means God, and A means no God put an A in front of it, uh, means no God. So it, it, is, it is those who would say to themselves, well, I don't believe there's a God, and so they reject the fact that there's a God. But notice something in the Bible, even in verse 1. Moses, nor any of the other writers of the Bible, spent any time at all trying to convince anybody that God exists. They didn't waste one letter, one word, one bit of ink. They didn't waste their breath trying to prove to people that God exists. Why do you think that is? Well, it's so intuitive and so understood that God exists, they didn't feel like they needed a waste of time to explain it. And that doesn't mean they didn't explain who God is. And that doesn't mean they didn't explain in relation to false deities who God is. But they never, throughout the entire Bible, spent any time trying to prove that God exists. One scholar said this, Dr. Sarna, and I quote, his existence prior to the world is taken as axiomatic and does not even require assertion, let alone proof. I like that. Doesn't even require us to exert it because we know it intuitively in our hearts. Let me give you four things to think about with relation to the existence of God and the evidence of who he is and why we should know it. And a moment ago, I said that many atheists, particularly those in academia, like to use science to try to say that we don't understand. Well, let me give you some science, okay? And this is rudimentary. This isn't complicated. Let's just talk about the human body and DNA. I'm not a physician and this stuff I, I've looked up and, and learned over the years, but I find it very interesting. Every cell in the human body is made up of four chemicals, okay? Um, adenine, guanine, thiazine, Dean and another one, okay? There's four of them. That's pretty interesting in itself, okay? That there's four. That every cell in the body is made up of those four elements, those four things. The arrangement of those four actually make up DNA strands for each cell. Now, think, now this is really kind of neat stuff. Think about this. Your body's made up of cells, each cell has those four chemicals in them that make up the cell. And each cell in your body has a DNA strand that's made up of different arrangements of those four chemicals. And that's it. Those four make up a cell, and then the arrangement of the DNA identifies what that cell does. Okay? You have all these cells in your body that make up all the different parts of your body. As best I know, each cell in a DNA strand has three billion combinations. Now think of, now get the grasp of this. One cell 
in your body has three billion, has a DNA strand of three billion codes with a B. One cell. Do you know how many cells are in your body? 37 trillion. Now watch this. If you can do the math, you need a calculator for this. Each one of those 37 trillion cells that's in your body has an individual DNA code in each cell that's 3 billion combinations long. You think that happened by accident? You, th you think, now honest to goodness, you think that somewhere a billion years ago there's a pool of water and you need some energy so there's a lightning bolt that hits this pool of water and it has the right salinity in it and it has the right temperature and poof, a single cell organism is born by accident with a code of three billion. It ain't happening in your wildest dreams, okay? In fact, I forgot what the number is and I should have looked it up when I was studying this week. There's a number in math and I think it's like a number to the 13th or 15th power. Statisticians say that if you have a number that's to the 13th or 15th power, it is impossible. In other words, that number has reached the point where whatever it is you think is going to happen statistically is never going to happen at that number. I can tell you, I've not done the math, but that number is way higher for the fact that a single cell organism would be, would be created in a pool of water by itself. Now, here's the leap that's really hard that a single cell organism would of its own just magically appear in a pool of water and go from a single cell organism to being you sitting in that seat with 37 trillion cells all working in concert to do whatever it is your body does, that's impossible as well, okay? Here's the truth, you ready? The truth is what the Bible says, that in the beginning, God created everything, including human beings including the animals and the birds and the trees and the universe and the stars and the planets. He created everything. And here's what's the really neat part about how awesome God is. When he created, it didn't take him long. In other words, God didn't have to sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper and go, let's see, I need cells and I need, and I need 3 billion DNA you know, codes and then I need this number of cells per body. No, you know how he did it? He said it. And it happened. Boom. I'm, I'm all for the Big Bang Theory. You know how it worked? God said it and bang. I don't think there was a bang. I just think it happened. Okay? That's how awesome God is. Now that's the God in the creative act that, that the world wants to deny. Now listen, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a physicist or a chemist or any of that kind of stuff. You know, did stay at a Holiday Inn the other night, for whatever that matters. But I, the commercial. But the point is, I don't know all that stuff, but here's what I know. When I look at life and I read the Bible, you know what matches up? What the Bible says and what life says. Now, when I read the Bible and I listen to what people say about God, that he don't exist, that stuff doesn't equal up. It just doesn't match up. And so I would say, uh, if, if there's a person who's struggling with the fact that in the beginning, God... Just take a look at the human body. In fact, Sherry and I were talking about this today. And poor Sherry, she gets a prelude to every message during the week before it comes here. And I was thinking about this. You know, did you know that the cells in your body 
<clears throat> and I did take chemistry. I mean, I, I took all that stuff in college and forgot like 90% of it. But I do remember this, that the DNA code in your cells in your body replicate themselves, meaning when your cell replaces itself, right? And our body is always a cell replaces itself. It, your body is so made by God that your cell will go get a piece of the DNA code and make another cell just like itself. And so your body is perpetually making new cells, you know, fingernail cells and hair and all parts of your body. It just keeps making them. Now, when God created Adam, here's the really cool part about that. When God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, and again, he just spoke, he took up dirt and boom, there's a man and breathing him to breath of life. You know, Adam would have never died because there was no sin. In other words, Adam's body was made. The reason our bodies do that, God created Adam that his body would perpetuate itself, that it would never die, that it would, it would always make new cells. It would always be young. It would always be uh, vibrant and it would always be healthy. Well, what messed all that up? Sin. Sin came into the world and touched our bodies and touched the earth and touched creation and ruined it. Do you know why cancers and diseases and stuff strike the bodies today? Because it's rogue cells. Cells in the body mutate and they change. Why? Because they're not perfect anymore. And the body's not perfect anymore because of sin. It's all been tarnished by sin. But God, when he spoke and created, it was perfect. And the body was created this magnificent thing. And, and think, listen, I've had, I've had physicians and, and medical emergency people who go to wrecks and stuff. He says, the body, the body is created so tough that, it, that God created it to be that way. But sin, sin messed it up. So a proof of God, if you want proof, is there. Second one, very quickly. God created us in his image. God created us in his image. Even lost men and women have the image of God in them. Lost men and women have the image of God in them. In fact, they're created and loved by God. We all are. And when we were lost, God drew us and saved us. But we are created in the image of God. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.18. He said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now listen, because what, we, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I had a lady ask me one time, she said, Pastor, how... How is it that, that people who don't have the privilege we have in this country to hear the gospel, how, God's gonna, how is it God's going to hold them accountable? And I said, because they're without excuse. Creation itself declares there's a God. God has created us in his image, and we can recognize God in all of creation. Thirdly, let me tell you why we ought to know there's a God and why we shouldn't have to defend that there's a God, because of the Bible. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews said that the word of God is living and powerful. Living and powerful. I've read a lot of books in my life. Never read a book like the Bible. Used to read Louis L'Amour books on the ship. You know what I mean? You ever read Louis L'Amour books? Yeah. I could read a Louis L'Amour book and put it on the shelf and go, been there, done that, don't need to read it again. But I can read the Bible and I never get tired of reading the Bible. Isn't that weird? I mean, just from a human perspective, isn't that strange? I, I don't mind telling you, I read the Quran one time. I thought, what's the big, what's the hubbub? So I got one and read it. Done that, been there. Don't need to read it again. Didn't do anything for me. Not because, listen, not because 
I'm being hard toward any particular thing. I've read all kinds of religious articles. I've read all kinds of religious perspectives and points of view as part of my education. But when I come back to the Bible and I read the Bible, the thing cuts me to the heart. I mean, I can read the Bible and I feel bad. I don't feel bad reading Lula Moore. I don't feel bad reading the Quran. I don't feel bad reading anything else. You say, why do you feel bad? Because it's alive. It's living. It's powerful. And the Holy Spirit cuts you to pieces with the thing. Divides asunder the heart and soul of man. Boy, you can't read the Bible with an open heart and an open mind and not be changed. That's not true of any other book. So how do we know there's a God? Because he gave us that book. I'll tell you what, you say, well, you know, Pastor, it's just a book. No, there have been, there have been dictators and crazy people throughout human history who try to wipe out the Bible. They try to burn them, rip them up, tear them up, and guess what? They're all gone and it's still here. Why? Because God said my word will last forever. Well, there's proof, okay? I mean, we ought to know there's a God because there's a Bible. And then, then, and then the greatest reason we ought to know there's a God, but I haven't proved that he exists, is because Jesus came. Because Jesus Christ. Jesus came. We talked about it over the last several weeks when we did our series on the ministry of Jesus. There's never been a human being on the face of this planet like Jesus. There'll never be anybody else on the face of the planet like Jesus. Why? Because he's God. God left heaven, became a man, took on the form of a man, God and man at the same time, incarnation, walked around on this earth sinlessly, died on a cross to pay for the sin of the whole world, and three days later conquered death in the grave and walked out of there in a new resurrection body. Never been anybody like that before. Never going to be anybody else like that again. How do we know there's a God? Because Jesus showed us who God is. I've said this many times. So, Pastor, I really just wish I knew what God looked like. Read about Jesus. Wonder what, wonder what kind of things God does. Read about Jesus. Because whatever Jesus did, that's what God does. Whatever Jesus says, that's what God says. How Jesus lived, that's how God lives. Because you understand God's a person. He's holy and perfect and awesome. We see God and the reality of his existence in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's all the first half of the verse. You ready for the second half? We got time, real quick. So what did God do? In the beginning, God. All right, we've established in the beginning, God, right? Time began, he started it all off. But what did he do? It says, God created the heavens and the earth. The word create is bara, B-A-R-A. You can play around with these words, and I've read all kinds of stuff about it. Ex nihilo means to create out of nothing. So let me just give you an idea of, of what this means when it says God created. We, we're not going to get to heavens and earth yet, but he just said he created everything that he created. What it means is that God created from nothing. You see, scientists and atheists who want to deny God, here's one of their, here's one of their capstone arguments is that matter is eternal. They'll tell you that matter has existed and that over the billions and billions of years, it's just changed forms, and so now we have planets and we have all the things that we have. Well, that's the, that's the error in their premise. That's the, that's the fault line in, in all their thinking. And they can't, they can't give it up because if they give it up, then they got to come back to the fact that there's a God, okay? And they don't want to do that. Matter is not eternal, meaning things are not eternal. When God spoke and God created, get this now, he spoke, he spoke something out of nothing, meaning there was nothing, and he spoke, and now there's something. Only God can do that. 
That's why I'm emphasizing the point. We can make things, and we call it creating things, but we don't really create anything. You say, oh, well, scientists made a new medicine. Well, they didn't create it. They, they found the stuff that God put here and manipulated it or discovered it, kind of like when they found penicillin, remember? Remember back in the 60s, late 50s, whenever it was, penicillin came around? They got that out of mold, right? If I remember right, then they get some scientists go, look, boom, penicillin, good for antibiotic. Well, we didn't invent that thing. Mold been here since God created, right? It's just that God, because we're creating the image of God, what do we do? We learn and we create and we build just like God does. And so some scientists, whoever the guy was, I forget who it was, playing around with mold goes, well, this would probably be pretty good for infections right here. This seems to work pretty good. And boom, we have penicillin. Well, we do that, but we don't create anything. We don't create dirt. Dirt's dirt and there ain't any more. And you can't create it. You can't, you know, I mean, you can't. You can't create, you know, God created it. He put it here. He put the stuff here. Can't make a planet. Can't make any of that stuff. Why? Because God created what exists and we just manipulate it and we use it. The trees and the, and the resources on the planet. And I don't want to get carried away. By the way, let me talk about resources for a minute. We should take care of the planet. Let me just put that out right. We shouldn't abuse what God gave us because why? We're stewards. When he put Adam in the garden, he said, take care of the garden, take care of it. But for crying out loud, can we, can we not get upset about cutting down a tree, please? I mean, we can plant more trees. We should, we should replenish what we use, but God put us here to use the resources and he put the resources here for us to use. We're not gonna run out of oil till Jesus comes back. There's, I mean, so stop worrying about running out of oil. If you want to drive an electric car, drive an electric car, but don't tell me I have to, okay? I got that off my chest, so here we go. Right. If I want an electric car, I'll buy one, but don't, don't tell me I have to, all right? Listen, God created out of nothing, which makes him different, which makes him unique as God, because he spoke and matter came into existence. Uh, someone asked a preacher one time, he said, well, you know, how did God create out of nothing. Where did God come from? You know, did God come from somewhere if there was nothing? And the preacher was very straightforward. He goes, no, God stepped out of nowhere into somewhere. And that's how it worked. And that's exactly what God did. He stepped out of nowhere, out of eternity, into somewhere because he spoke into existence. And then he put us here into somewhere as well. The writer to the Hebrews said this, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Well, that's perfect things which are seen weren't made of things that appear. Why? Because God spoke it out of nothing. Now let's finish our time and think about this. He created the heaven and the earth. Now when you think about that, you think, well, the earth, the planet that we live on, and the heavens. But in biblical terms, it's bigger than that, okay? The earth is the earth. It's our planet because it's the, one, it's the only one we know. It's the one we live on. But when he says the heavens, he means the expanse of everything. He means, he means everything outside the earth. So he created the earth and he created everything else. Now we've talked about this and, I'm not, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it tonight because we're going to look at it in the creative order when we talk about creation. But when you say the heavens, what are we talking about? We're talking about the vastness of the universe. We're talking about everything. Not only are we talking about the physical universe, well, we're talking about the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim. You understand that anything, now listen to this very carefully. Anything that exists was created by God. And I mean anything. There's God and then there's everything else. 
And I mean everything else. The throne of God, is, if we think of a throne of God as, a, as in our finite minds, we think of a throne and God sitting on the thing. Well, God, God himself is spirit and he's everywhere. And the earth is his footstool. And so all of creation is his. But even around the throne, as we think of it revealed in the Bible, there are, there are creatures, cherubim and seraphim and angels and archangels and Michael and Gabriel and ranks of angels. There was a time in eternity past when God spoke them into existence. God created them. Satan was a covering cherub. He was not created as Satan in the beginning. He was, he was an angel, probably one of, the, one of the highest ranking angels around the throne of God. And pride came into his heart. And he wanted to be like God. And so God cast him out. And then uh, at some point, apparently in eternity past, the angels made a choice and, and a great group of them followed Satan and became demons and they resisted against God. But they are created by God. So the heavens and the earth, and when we think about the heavens. When I, I look up and I'm again, astronomy and astrology in the military, and I shared this with you before, when I went through officer training school in OCS, we had to learn navigation. We had to learn how to navigate the ship. You think, well, it's just a big ocean and you don't run into anything. Well, that's true. You don't want to run into anything, but, but you have to be able to drive from point A to point B and there are no road signs out there. So uh, before there was uh, satellite GPS and stuff, we actually had to use a, a thing called a sextant. And so you go up in the morning or you go in the evening or you go at high noon and you shoot angles on the horizon and you pick a celestial body. And the way this works is it's, it's geometry. It's a, a triangle. And if you know two sides of a triangle, what can you do? You can figure out the third one, right? And so you can pinpoint yourself on the planet. Now, now here's why that whole thing works. Are you ready? Here's why that whole thing works. Because the stars don't move. They're fixed. Now, if they moved, it would be a mute point, right? Because they're here today and they're over there tomorrow. No, the earth rotates. We know that. And the earth goes around the sun as it's rotating. And so we had these books. See, the young people that are in the military now, boy, they're loving life because they push a button and it tells them right where they are. We had these books. And we had to go to the date today, you know, like what's today? So we turn in these big books to what today is. And it would tell us in this book the names of the constellations and where they are on the horizon based on the date because then we know where the Earth's rotation is and all that, okay? And then we would take this thing and we would shoot our angle and we would look through it and then we'd have somebody else look through it, make sure we didn't mess it up, make sure we got all the right stuff. Then we'd go take this piece of paper and write all that stuff down and when you get all done, you get a Latin long and you go, yeah, Skipper, we're right here. And he'd go, okay. And then we'd mark it on the chart and we would know where we were. Then when GPS came along, we would do it by hand. And then we'd go over and hit the GPS and go, how close are we, right? And it's amazing. Now, here's what I'm telling you. Because of the way God created the heavens, you could be within 50 miles of where the GPS tells you by doing it by hand. You could, you could do the thing by math and figure out exactly where you're on the face planet. Now, here's the reason I'm telling you that. When God created, he created it with order. It wasn't chaos. Now, in the, you know, it, it was, we'll get to it. The earth was out form of void, and then God put order in it. But God's universe has order in it. It has laws. It has rules. Gravity works every day, all day long, okay? The rotation of the earth stays the same. Isn't it amazing that the earth hangs on nothing? Hangs on nothing, but it stays in the exact right spot from the sun, the right distance, and the other planets stay where they're supposed to stay. And God put on this planet, by the way, oxygen 
pretty important. We need that. He put an atmosphere that holds the oxygen in. That's pretty important. We need that. And he put a lot of water here. That's pretty important. We need that. Isn't it amazing that when God created, when he spoke, and he put the heavens and the earth there, he put everything we need that would sustain life. Let me, let me conclude this way. And I'm going to conclude here on purpose because I don't want to get into the next verse. We'll be here another hour and a half. We'll get it in the days ahead. Listen, the evidence, just, just to read the first verse of the Bible, if, if you didn't know anything, you read the first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You put the book down. And you look around, you'd have to go, I can see that. You, ha you have to. You have to go, yep, I see the order. I see the intelligent design. I'll tell you what ought to make you a believer, and Bill and I were talking about this earlier, Bill Collins. You have a child born, you have a baby, and you hold that baby in your hands right after they're born, you know what you see? You see God. That's what you see. You see a miracle. You see a human being just born into life, brand new, all shiny and screaming and yelling, and you think, man, that's a miracle that, that a husband and wife can come together and a baby can be born. That's nothing short of a miracle. So yes, God created. In the beginning, God created everything. You know why? Because he's a great God. And he's the only one there is. Now let me close with this. Maybe you're watching online tonight. Maybe you're watching because you were curious because I was going to talk about creation. Well, that's good. But let me tell you what you need more than anything. You need the God, the same God, who can make you a new person on the inside. Because see that sin I was talking about? That sin's messed up everything. And sin separates us from God. But God loves you. And he sent his son to die on a cross for you. That's why Jesus came. He died on the cross to pay for the sin of the whole world. And God can fix what's wrong with us. And he wants to fix what's wrong with us. He can save us, forgive our sin, make us a new creation in Christ on the inside. Make us a new man, a new woman. Birth us into his family spiritually. You can be saved tonight if you want to be saved. Right there in your seat. You can pray to receive Christ. We had a young man, he just got baptized last Sunday night, sitting back there on a Sunday morning, prayed to receive Christ, came told us he got saved, he just got baptized. Listen, you're watching online, on your couch, watching this later on your computer. If you'll pray to receive Christ, he'll save you now. He'll save you right now. If you need Jesus, would you ask him to save you? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God, you created the heavens and the earth. God, you created everything. God, you created it with order. You created it with function. You created it with purpose, and you created it with beauty. God, you did all that. And God, we praise you and give you all the glory for it. Father, maybe there's somebody under the hearing of your word via the internet or maybe in this room tonight, and they've never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to forgive their sin. Lord, I pray for them right now that you would just touch their heart and draw them, that God, they would cry out to you and ask you to forgive them and save them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. If I can pray with you or help you, you come on the first verse.
being with us tonight. Uh, Life groups on Wednesday. I invite you to be a part of that where we have our groups and we study the Bible together. And remember, tell your friends, your loved ones, people around you, invite them to come to church on Sunday. We start our series and the study in the book of Daniel this morning. Fantastic study. I invite people to come with you to be a part of that. Anything else? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for being so good to us. Lord, we have the privilege to be here in this place together. Bless us now through this week to honor you in the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen.